Hi, I'm Lewis and welcome to Searching for It. Back in the third episode of this podcast, the second one on Jack Kerouac, I mentioned that just over a year ago I went on my first silent meditation retreat. It was hosted at a fantastic Buddhist monastery just north of London, and at the time I said I found it a really rewarding experience. And in a sense I did, it was a weekend with no distractions where I was alone with just my thoughts for company, and I found it beneficial in a kind of detox sense. There were no external sources of stress, no distractions, and I was able to get back in tune with myself. But as time went on, I didn't keep up meditation, I've never meditated regularly, and I found myself, I think, increasingly confused by my experience, because, as I say, it was a relaxing experience, but but the more I read about Buddhism and the more I reflected upon the retreat, I don't think I quite got everything out of it that I could have done. In other words, I'm not sure I did it right. Other than the retreat, the only times I'd really practiced meditation in the past were when I'd been feeling a bit anxious or stressed, and I'd meditate for about 10 minutes or so, just focusing on my breathing, calming myself down, really just using meditation as some kind of emergency get-out-of-jail-free card when I wasn't feeling great. And that's the way I meditated on the retreat too, just clearing my head, like when you get a massage and they remove the knots from your body, it was like I was removing the knots from my mind. I think the way I'd use meditation there represents one of the biggest misunderstandings about meditation, that it's just a relaxation technique, that it's just a way of ridding yourself from stress. Now, don't get me wrong, that's definitely something meditation can do, and it's a really beneficial thing too. But in actual fact, there's a lot more that meditation can also do. Meditation isn't just a negative tool, negative in the sense that it gets rid of things, things like stress, anxiety. It's also positive in the sense that it can create certain things, certain skills within us. Things such as concentration, mindfulness, wisdom. See, when we meditate, we're not trying to fall into a trance and shut ourselves off to the world. It's really about opening yourself up to the world and experiencing everything fully. And it's that second sense, that second type of meditation that we're going to be talking about in this episode. But first, just to set the scene. So, Buddhism's a religion or philosophy or however you want to define it that sets out what Buddhists take to be the best way that people can live their lives, given certain facts about what it's like to be a person. So, Buddhists believe that our natural state is to suffer. To suffer in the sense that our lives are imperfect, we're always desiring something we don't have, we're never completely satisfied for very long. As we saw in the last episode, Buddhists identify desire as the cause of our suffering. And then if you go down the ladder one step further, you see that our desires themselves are caused by ignorance. We make certain errors and mistakes that cause us to continue in this cycle of desire. So what Buddhists think we really need to do is to overcome these ignorances and see the world as it really is. When we do so, we see the futility, the pointlessness of desire and we leave it behind us. We leave suffering behind us too and ultimately we reach nirvana and live in total calmness and tranquility. I mentioned in the last episode that in the context of this podcast you might describe nirvana as a, as a kind of it, as a light at the end of the tunnel that we can direct our lives towards to reach a higher state. In light of that, I want to spend this episode looking at how we can use meditation to radically alter our worldview and reach that elevated state of consciousness. I think framing the discussion in this way, you can see that meditation has so much more potential than just a relaxation technique, 
and that we can achieve so much more by using meditation to reach these states of enlightenment and achieve nirvana. Just as a kind of disclaimer before I begin though, as with the last episode, there are lots of different schools of Buddhism that practice Buddhism in a lot of different ways. Equally, there are a lot of different ways that you can practice meditation, and my understanding is that each individual way isn't likely to be right or wrong per se, but rather different meditative techniques suit different people. So not everything I say in this podcast will necessarily work for you, and there might be certain techniques that do work for you that won't be covered in this podcast. But specifically today, I'm going to be talking about Vipassana meditation in particular. The word Vipassana itself is often translated to insight, and I thought it would be a good way of framing meditation within the context of this podcast, because it's Vipassana that's specifically geared towards generating these insights that we've looked at so far, and that lead us to enlightenment. Now, even within Vipassana meditation, there are different ways of framing it. So for those of you familiar with the different traditions, I'll be approaching this episode through the lens of Theravada Buddhism, but different schools such as Mahayana do practice Vipassana as well. But enough on the jargon for now. I'll begin by talking about how meditation works and how we can arrive at these kinds of insights. And then I'll go on to talk about the practicalities of actually meditating, what you do. So in terms of how Buddhism actually works, I found it really eye-opening researching for this episode because I had no idea that meditation could be anything more than a relaxation technique. I had no idea that meditation could be used to build insights into human life, develop wisdom, attain enlightenment. I guess I just kind of thought that it's all about being still, shutting yourself off to the world. I definitely didn't see it as a kind of learning tool, as it can be. I think for a lot of people, at some point myself included, Meditation brings up some kind of image of a monk with his legs crossed, his fingers curled up in a circle saying om. But there's more that we mean when we talk about meditation. I mean, have you ever heard the word meditate used in the context where you're asked to meditate upon something? Maybe you're meditating upon an idea or something that's happened to you? In that context, to meditate means to really think about something and get to the root of it. Equally, any of you listening with any background in philosophy will probably be aware of Descartes' book Meditations, which isn't a book about Buddhism or sitting down with your eyes closed. It's a book about the limits of human knowledge, what we can know, and throughout the book, Descartes is meditating about what he thinks he knows. He's thinking long and hard about the idea of knowledge and trying to get to the bottom of what it means. The reason I'm saying all this is I found that thinking about meditation in this way helps me better understand what Vipassana is all about. It's not just about emptying your mind, not at all. It's about trying to figure out human existence and really understand what it's all about. But the way Buddhists try and arrive at this knowledge isn't like Descartes. You get these lines in Descartes' meditations when he talks about being sat on his armchair by the fire, pondering about knowledge, thinking really deeply. But Buddhists aren't straining their mind when they're meditating. They're not constructing logical arguments, They're not philosophising. Equally, as I said, they're not trying to empty their minds either. They have a different method of approaching enlightenment. What Buddhists are essentially trying to do, if I reduce it down to some simple steps, is open their minds towards the true nature of the universe so they can perceive it directly. They're not constructing elaborate arguments as to why things must be a certain way. They're just trying to experience the world in as authentic a way as possible. And in order to do this through Vipassana meditation, Buddhists aim to cultivate two different states of mind. Firstly, concentration, 
and then mindfulness. So to see how this works, take a common form of meditation, focusing on your breathing. In Vipassana meditation, what you're essentially trying to do is hone your mind in on your breathing, the whole act of breathing, the way it feels as the breath passes in and out of your nose. When you practice this regularly, maybe doing this a set period every day, you begin to get pretty good at focusing on your breathing. At first, it's surprisingly difficult. Barely a minute will go by without your mind throwing some thought at you, some desire, some anxiety or some feeling. But gradually you begin to develop the ability to focus specifically on your breathing. In other words, you develop concentration. You can concentrate hard on whatever you choose and direct all your mental energies towards it. That's the first skill you need. Then next up, if we're going to use meditation to reach enlightenment, we're going to need to cultivate our mindfulness too. When we're talking about mindfulness here, it's probably worth setting aside any preconceptions you might have about what mindfulness actually is. See, mindfulness is kind of like a buzzword today. It feels like a trendy topic. But I think the way we sometimes talk about mindfulness in the West isn't quite the same as the way we're talking about it in a Buddhist context. In my last job, for example, we had a team training day one day about mindfulness. And I really enjoyed it, actually. It was, uh, was frames around stress in the workplace and how to overcome our stresses and anxieties. We were taught different techniques to perceive the world more positively and physical tricks to literally overcome feelings of anxiety. But when we're using mindfulness as a tool in Buddhist meditation, I'm not talking about calming ourselves down, ridding ourselves of our worries. It's a similar concept, but not quite the same thing. If I'm going to try and sum it up in a sentence, I think it's best to say that mindfulness in the context of Buddhism is all about observing the world in a detached manner. There's a few things going on here. First of all, when we say that mindfulness is a way of observing the world, what I mean by this is we're paying active attention to what's going on. We're not using mindfulness to wrap ourselves in a cotton ball in our own heads so nothing can hurt us. We're really opening ourselves up entirely to the world and to our own feelings too. We're noting everything that arises. But at the same time, we said that we're observing the world in a detached manner. What this means is that when we note everything that's going on, we don't get sucked into it. We don't cast judgments, cast our approval or disapproval on it. And not only that, but we don't even conceptualise our experience, meaning that we don't mentally place our experiences into certain categories in our head. You know, if we see a drug deal take place on the street, we don't categorise what we see as a drug deal. We don't frame our experience around the subtext of the scared-looking kid buying drugs, painting a mental picture about his background, what he's going to do when he gets home. If we're really good, we don't even form the concepts of person and drug to categorise what we're seeing. When we're practising mindfulness, we actively observe everything that's going on. But that's where the activity ends. We don't let ourselves get sucked into the trap of forming judgments, opinions, concepts. We just let the raw experience wash over us. So bringing this back to meditation, mindfulness is the second tool we're cultivating. You know, the ability to be mindful of the universe, to observe everything that's going on, but to see it authentically, without the coloured lenses we normally wear that tint our experiences to how we expect to perceive them. So I mentioned earlier that what meditation is trying to achieve is an opening of our minds to the way that things really are. When you combine the concentration and the mindfulness we've spoken about that we're harnessing through our meditation, you see that this is exactly what meditation does. See, our concentration allows us to focus on the experiences at hand with our full attention, without our minds wandering. Meanwhile, as our concentration pins these experiences down, 
Our mindfulness then steps in to apprehend these experiences fully, to see them as they really are, and ultimately to see the world as it really is. It's not a quick process, it's not fast food enlightenment. It takes a lot of dedication and practice to cultivate these tools to such a degree that we come across any great revelations. But ultimately, the point for Buddhism is that eventually we'll understand the true nature of reality. As we spoke about last episode, we'll see that illusory nature of the self, we'll see desire as being at the cause of our suffering, and we'll see the potential that we have to rid ourselves of our desire and of our suffering. And as these realisations hammer home, when they really stick, that's when we can open ourselves up to attaining nirvana. So that's the kind of end goal of meditation, you know, not just to de-stress us, not just to relax, but ultimately to reach the highest point of human existence, to reach nirvana, to rid ourselves of suffering and live in tranquility. That's what we're trying to achieve through Vipassana meditation, but for now let's spend a bit of time looking at how we actually go about meditating and how we can cultivate these kinds of skills. As we've seen, there are different steps you'll need to go through. First of all, you've got to become good at concentrating, then you've got to become good at being mindful, and then you can use these to meditate upon your existence and reach enlightenment. But the first step for a beginner, according to the Vipassana tradition, will often be to begin just by focusing on your breathing. You'll need a quiet spot away from distractions, ideally away from other people too. It, it won't help if you feel like you're being watched. You'll want to be somewhere comfortable and wearing comfy clothes. It's no good if you spend your whole time getting more and more frustrated if you feel uncomfortable. And then when you found a quiet place, set yourself a specific amount of time. Beginners will often start around the 20 minute mark. And setting an alarm on your phone is probably a good way of making sure you don't just spend your time clock watching. When you come to sit down, you can forget those images you might have in your head of Buddhist monks sat in the lotus position, palms faced upwards with their fingers in a circle. Remember, the essence of Buddhism isn't about customs, traditions, doing things in a certain way. It's about reaching enlightenment, and it doesn't matter how you're sat, so long as you're able to open yourselves up to these kinds of insights. Having said that, there are some general rules of thumb you'll probably want to follow. Sitting in a stable position where you're not going to be in too much pain and where you're not going to get too sleepy is probably a good start. I mean, you can try starting off in the lotus position if you like, but... Focusing on your breathing probably isn't going to be your top priority when you can't stop thinking about the pain in your legs. And trust me, I've made this mistake too. Don't even think about trying to meditate lying down in bed. If you're anything like me, you'll fall straight asleep and that's not going to get you anywhere. So to avoid pain and to avoid sleepiness and to stay alert as well, it's generally recommended to adopt a position something like seated, whether it be on a chair or with your legs crossed in a way that works for you. Keep your back straight with your head up but staying relaxed because you don't want any tension. You can keep your eyes open or closed. Closed is probably easier at first, but it doesn't really matter, and with your palms cupped upon one another. Now, to begin, you're just focusing on your breathing. In theory, you can focus on anything. I've listened to podcasts with both Russell Brand and David Lynch where they talk about transcendental meditation, where you focus on a mantra. And there's no reason you can't focus on that if you prefer, but... Vipassana tends to begin by focusing on breathing in particular because, well, firstly, it's easy, you know, it's accessible. Everyone breathes, it's cheap, it's available, but, but also it's an especially good way of developing the kind of concentration and mindfulness that we're going for here. When you're focusing on your breathing, remember, though, that mindfulness is about detached observations, not getting sucked into thought patterns. So focusing on your breathing doesn't mean thinking about your breathing. 
don't think, what does my breathing feel like? How fast am I breathing? How deep am I breathing? In fact, don't even conceptualize your breathing at all. Don't even think of it as breathing. Just observe the raw experience of breathing. Observe it without words and let it encompass you. It can be kind of tricky to really get to grips with this distinction between thinking about something and being mindful of something. But one way I like to think about it is the mindfulness is kind of like that pre-thinking awareness of the object. And then once you're aware of it, you can then go on to frame it in your mind in a certain way, according to certain concepts, and you might think certain thoughts about it. That's where it becomes thinking. See, I think they also feel a certain way too. See, mindfulness is light. You're separate from what you're thinking about. But once you enter the realm of thought, it feels much heavier. You become entangled with the object and you get sucked into these thought chains. When you're meditating, what we're going for is this light feeling, just awareness and nothing more. Trust me though, it's easier said than done. When I was researching for this episode, it got me inspired to start taking meditation more seriously and at the time of recording, I'm still not quite there with the daily routine. But one thing I was really surprised by the first time I sat down to practice Vipassana meditation was how hard it was. Seriously, my first 20 minute session, I think I managed about 5 cumulative minutes of mindfulness and about 15 minutes being sucked into thought chains. But this is completely natural, especially when you're just starting off. It's going to be difficult and it's going to be eye-opening too. It's crazy when you sit down for the first time with no distractions other than your own mind and you realise just how hyperactive your mind is. In Buddhism, they call it the monkey mind, the way your mind just feels out of control, always darting off in one direction or another. But when this happens, and it's going to happen, you can't just fight against it. You can't just suppress it by force. In the last episode, we spoke about repression and how when you repress your thoughts, they continue to bubble under the surface and then they come back stronger. And it's the same thing going on here. If you try to fight your thoughts and shove them out of your mind, it's not going to be long until you're fighting the monkey mind once again. When you're faced with these thought chains as you're meditating, you've got to process them healthily. And from my understanding, the best way to do so is to use them essentially as an object of meditation in themselves. When you realise the monkey mind has taken over, you can take a step back, don't involve yourself with the thoughts, just observe them wordlessly, without concepts or judgments. Just meditate upon them, pay attention and observe how they arise. And just like a playground bully, once you stop engaging with them, reacting to them, they'll pass, they'll leave you alone and you can go back to your breathing. To be honest, I think that's not just a good meditation technique, but it's a good way of dealing with negative thoughts in your day-to-day -day life too. I mean, take a feeling like anger. Nobody likes feeling angry. It would be better if we never had to. Now, imagine something that makes you angry and that you can't do anything about. Maybe someone's disrespected you or criticised you unfairly. It could be a teacher, your manager, your partner. Maybe you've been working on something really hard and they don't appreciate it at all and they attack you on some small detail. There's a lot of people for whom this would really ruin their day. They'll brood about it and they'll come home from work and say, gosh, can you believe what my manager said? And it'll affect the way they feel about everything else they do that day. But when you adopt this state of mindfulness, you see the anger. You might really see the anger. But with enough practice, you'll begin to be able to detach yourself from it. You can see it from an almost third-party perspective. And you don't get sucked into the whole, I can't believe he did that, I'm going to get him now. You just see it and you let it pass. And once you get good at doing this, things like anger, frustration, sadness, they won't get such a strong hold on you because they don't need to. 
You know, you can process situations healthily and react appropriately to bad things without needing to overflow with anger or whatever it is you're feeling. It's bad enough when your work goes unappreciated, but it's even worse when you're filled with anger too, right? Obviously, it goes without saying, this change in attitude doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of practice. But the more you meditate, the more you're able to observe the world attachedly, as it really is, and without getting sucked into the ego and all the drama. And as you get better at meditating, when you can sit relaxed without troubling yourself over your posture, how your legs feel, whether you're doing it right, you can begin meditating in different settings too. When I did my meditation retreat in 2017, one of the things that really struck me was that the itinerary wasn't just get up, sit and meditate, have breakfast, sit and meditate and so on. There are a few different types of meditation thrown in there too. One type I'd never heard of before was walking meditation. The essence of it is the same as breathing meditation. You're trying to focus on one thing and become completely mindful of it. But here, the focus of your attention isn't your breathing, it's your walking. We'd all go outside a couple of times a day for 40 minutes or so, finding our own little path in the gardens and walking back and forth in a straight line. If there were anyone else there, they'd probably think we were crazy. So as with breathing meditation, you'll probably want to do this somewhere private so you don't feel like you're putting on a show. But essentially, what you're doing is, as I say, walking back and forth, just naturally, not with any contrived grace. Eyes up, but not focusing them on anything in particular. Just paying attention to the feeling of walking, to everything going on around you. Just mindful of the experience of walking. And when you get really good, you can turn almost anything into an opportunity to meditate. The other form we practiced on the retreat was working meditation, so... We'd be assigned our daily chores in running the retreat, something mundane like chopping vegetables, cleaning the bathrooms. Mine was vacuum cleaning the dorms. But again, it's the same routine, placing yourself squarely in the present, being mindful of every moment, of every action. I read in one of the books I used to prepare for this episode that for experienced meditators, there's literally no such thing as wasted time because any moment can be used for meditation. As long as you're keeping your mind open, investigating every facet of life and your experiences, you're practicing vipassana meditation and opening yourselves up to truth and enlightenment at any moment. The longer that you practice meditation and the more experienced you get, letting thoughts and feelings flow through you as you meditate, you begin to develop the skills you need to generate true insight. We mentioned these already earlier. First of all, the more you practice this focus on your breathing, avoiding getting sucked into other thought patterns, the better you'll get at concentration. That's exactly what we're doing here, focusing on just one thing, specifically your breathing, and getting better at avoiding those distractions that take our focus away from our breathing. And then, as we get better at concentration, this will allow us to meditate in a greater state of mindfulness too. As we've said, mindfulness is the practice of opening ourselves up to the world, opening ourselves up to our experience undiluted by our preconceptions and judgments, seeing the world as it really is without our mental filters. You know, when we spoke about how to deal with the monkey mind when we meditate, when we just observe our thoughts and let them be, this is exactly what mindfulness looks like, paying attention to our experiences and then letting them wash over us. And it's really important to develop these skills together, the concentration and mindfulness, because think about it, when you're living under the rule of the monkey mind, how are you ever going to be truly mindful? Whatever you try to think about, you'll be tossed and turned in a hundred different directions as your mind applies all its attitudes, its anxieties, to your experiences, and you don't see your experiences as they really are. 
But when we can concentrate, avoid being pulled into the currents of distraction, the fog disperses and we begin to see the world with a certain clarity that we didn't have access to before. So that's how Vipassana meditation progresses. Beginning just by focusing on our breathing, we develop concentration, which we can use to attain more complete states of mindfulness. And from there, once we really open ourselves up to the world, to borrow Aldous Huxley's phrase from episode 6, once we open up our doors of perception, we begin to see the world as it really is. We spoke in the last episode about the Buddhist truths, the understanding of which lead to enlightenment, and that knowing these truths doesn't depend on step-by-step logical arguments, it just depends on our clearly seeing the true nature of the world. And here, with mindfulness, we begin to really see these truths. We see the impermanence and unsatisfactoriness of the world. We see the world as it is, as Dukkha is suffering. We see that the cause of suffering of Dukkha is within us, and we see the path to overcoming this suffering. I couldn't say that I've even come close to these insights through meditation myself, but one thing I would say is I was really taken aback by just how clearly things started looking to me when I began meditating. One thing that struck me when I realised just how hyperactive my monkey mind is, is that I began to feel like I wasn't truly at one with my thoughts. There I was trying to focus on my breathing alone, but every few seconds some new thought would jump out at me and capture me and And I began feeling like these thoughts aren't just not me, but they're actually in opposition to me. I felt like whoever I was, it it definitely wasn't these thoughts. It's not that profound a realisation, it was more just a feeling I had. But it's an example that I think demonstrates that cultivating this state of mindfulness through meditation can allow you to experience the world and even yourselves in different ways, and maybe in ways that bring us closer to the truth. And to round off the circle here, The ultimate insights that we're gunning for are those that we spoke about in the last episode. You know, one of these insights being that life is suffering, that the world is Dukkha, but also that the cause of Dukkha is within us and that we can overcome Dukkha. And another one is when we gain true insight of the self, what we really are. When we're truly mindful, you see the way you cling to things, to people, to desires. You see the way you're pulled towards certain things and the resistance you put up to other things. But you begin to question that and to search for the I at the centre of it all, the I that desires, the I that clings to things. But the Buddhist realisation is that ultimately, we see there's nothing there. We see ourselves as no more than an ever-changing bundle of phenomena, with no concrete self at the heart of it. And at that point, we see the futility of craving and desire. It doesn't lead to satisfaction, we realise that. And we realise that the way we've constructed ourselves, our lives, the universe in our head is all mistaken, and that something has to change. When we have that great realisation, that's when we achieve true wisdom, enlightenment, that's when we reach nirvana. And at that point, the whole sense of self evaporates, and all that's left is an effortless flow, a calm, tranquil river of experience with no clinging, no resistance, just peace. In the last episode, we spoke about how the path to nirvana involves abandoning our ignorance and cultivating our wisdom, and that's exactly what's going on here. Meditation isn't just a way of de-stressing ourselves, it's not just a mechanism to cope better with negative emotions and to ground ourselves more firmly in the present. I mean, it is all of those things, but it's also much more. It's a learning tool, a way of coming to clearly and wholly understanding human life, and ultimately, a useful practice to set us on our way to attaining nirvana. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
I'm not entirely decided where I stand myself on every aspect of Buddhist thought, but I definitely think that there are some very useful insights we can take, and I find it a fascinating philosophy. I'm open to exploring Buddhism in more detail in future episodes, and if you'd be interested in that, you can always feel free to get in touch through email on searchingforitpodcast.gmail.com. Alternatively, if you'd like to do a bit of research yourself, you can find the recommended reading for this episode on www.searchingforit.org, where you'll also find the links to the show's Facebook, Instagram and Patreon pages. Searching for It will be back on the first Monday of March with an episode on the great pessimist philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, who I think will follow on really well from this episode as his philosophy has a lot in common with Buddhist thought. Until then, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'll see you on the 2nd of March. (laughs) 